Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. Daniel uh, chapter 3, we're going to cover um, verse 19 through 30, and I called this one Saved in the Fire because I left you on the cliffhanger last week, remember? When they didn't bow, and it's almost like I left you, you know, next week, same bat time, same bat channel. How many remember that from your childhood in the 60s? Old, 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 old. Okay. Now, we left off where Nebuchadnezzar has, uh, he has built this, uh, had this 90-foot statue built of gold. Do you remember? Probably gold because he was the head of what in the dream? He was the head of gold, so about 16 years have gone by. He probably thinks, you know what? There's no silver coming up. There's no next empire going to uh, overthrow us. So he builds this whole thing, and then he has that moment in time where he gathers all the uppity-ups and everybody there, and they say at the sound, when the music begins, everybody has to fall down and worship the idol. And so he says, band, they strike up running with the devil or whatever they strike up, you know, and then, and, and everybody's supposed to bow down and worship, except there's these, these guys that don't bow down, and that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's right. And so... When they don't bow down, some of their peers, the magicians and the conjurers, because they're magi. Daniel's a magi. Daniel's probably out of town, as the question was last week, probably out of town on business for the kingdom. And so this whole thing almost seems like a setup for these three Hebrew men who are rising up in the kingdom, Babylon, that they're watching them. They're watching to see if they'll bow down. And they don't bow. They do not bow to the statue. And these guys see that they don't bow down. And they go and report that to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the king of Babylon, and um, he's not liking it. And so he calls him in again, and uh, he says, I'm going to give you one more chance, you know. We're going we're gonna to strike up the band again. And he tells him these words. He says, there's no God that is able to deliver you out of my hand. I mean, that's a huge statement, is it not? He's basically saying that he is God. That's, remember, we said last week that he... He, he showed his hand. This is what it's really about, about him being God. And these guys, in their boldness and their faithfulness to God and all these things, they said, look, 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 you don't, you don't have to bother with it. Tell the band to go home, okay? Because we're not going to bow down. You're just going to waste your time to do that. And they make this statement, because remember Nebuchadnezzar j- just said, there is no God who's able to deliver you out of my hand, right? And so they say to Nebuchadnezzar, our God is able to deliver us out of your hand. You think that made him happy? I mean, that really, really got, got him. And then, they, then they, they finish off with the statement, but if, even if he doesn't. Now, they didn't say even if he can't, or he probably can't. They said even if he doesn't, which means they know that God can, right? But the question is, will God do that or not? But they say, look, and even if he doesn't do that, you need to know right now, Nebuchadnezzar, that we're not bowing. We're, we're not, you, you could strike up the band a hundred times and we're not going to bow. Now, you take that thought, and I think I said it last week because I said there's, there's a lot of parallels and a lot of ways that this Daniel narrative and Revelation go hand in hand. And so here you have an image of, more than likely it's an image of Nebuchadnezzar. It doesn't say it exactly, but more than likely 
And so we find in Revelation that when the Antichrist walks uh, the earth in the great seven-year tribulation, that the false prophet, remember I talked about this last week, the false prophet who's basically the, um, the counterpart uh, in the, of the Holy Spirit and the unholy trinity. And so the false prophet, he creates the image of the beast. The beast is the Antichrist, and it can even talk, and everybody's supposed to bow down and worship this image. And so, or else they die. And it's the same case here. If you don't bow down and worship the image, you Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you die. So you see how Satan has no new plans. And you see how, why it's very important you become a Christian and leave in the rapture if that's in our lifetime. Amen? Because you don't want to be on planet Earth when the Antichrist comes into play. First three, just for the sake of anybody you're not saved, I know you, okay, you're all saved. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Anybody watching, if, you were, if it was to happen in our life, the seven-year Great Tribulation, the first three and a half years, don't be fooled. They're going to be really good years on planet Earth. I mean, nothing bad about them. But then at the midpoint, when the Antichrist walks into the temple in Jerusalem, declares himself God, all hell breaks loose at that moment. So it's the last three and a half years that's, really, that's, that's going to be really, really bad on planet Earth. So he creates that image. Now, <clears throat> Can you imagine if you are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you're the ones who told the king, you know, you don't, you know we're not going to bow down. Our God can deliver us. When they say our God can deliver us, they're basically saying, Nebuchadnezzar, you are not what? You're not God. And so when they tell him that, can you, do you think anyone's ever told him that in public before like that? There's just no way. So when they say that, if you thought he was angry before with them, I mean, you better believe he's really angry now with these guys. And so this is where we're going to kind of begin everything. But I want to begin with a, a bullet point before I read any of the verses, because I think, I think this is really important in the way we're going to apply it, and that's in your notes. God will not deliver us from having to make our own decisions. God will not deliver us from having to make our own decisions. I think this is real important. Now, can God deliver them from the fire? And the answer is yes. Will God deliver them from the decision to bow or not? And the answer is no. The answer is no. See, this is a very important thing when it comes to raising kids. If you've ever raised kids, you know that when they're real young, you make every decision for them, right? I mean every decision. And as they mature and as they grow, there comes points you let them make certain decisions, right? But not big ones yet, because they're not fully there yet. But as they develop and grow, you want to keep growing the character in that child so that when they're adults, they make good decisions. They're not afraid to make the decisions. They have wisdom in their life. And that's character development, is it not? The sad part is when... A person grows up and they're in an adult body, but they're emotionally not an adult yet, and they cannot make a decision for themselves, and they still need a parent to make decisions for them. That's really bad, is it not? That's not what you want. And by the way, the goal in raising kids is that it is not this where you're always telling them. The goal is this. They need to become your adult friends. Did you catch that right there? They need to become your adult friends. You don't keep them this way because if you keep them this way, you're always telling them God was at them down. They're not going to develop. So they have to make their decision. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not going to be delivered from 
uh, from, from this thing. They're gonna, they, they have to make their own, they're not going to be delivered from the decision. They have to make their own decision. Now, did they have wisdom by this time? Yes. Do they have experience from past experience that they could trust God? The answer is yes. Now, they say we're not going to bow, and so they're going to honor God in that whole thing right there. Now, <clears throat> let, let, me, let me delve into this a little bit, a little bit further. Um, for the sake of whoever. Uh, my, my kids are all grown up. Um, they're um, 39, 37, and 29 is their age. And, uh, and you guys, I'm only 42. <laughs> but, um, but the one thing I, I knew is, as my kids got older was, they'll ask me for advice, and they do. And I'm glad they do. But I just give them advice. I do not, if they don't take my advice, I, I, I do not turn around and say, well, why do you even bother asking? I don't do that. I, I don't sit there and think to myself that you have to do what I told you to do or take my, I don't do that either. That, that's just not my business to do that whatsoever. Now, do they ever make a decision contrary to what advice I've given them? And I think that's the dumbest decision you could ever make in your life. Anybody know that feeling right there? Yeah, but you know what? They have to make their own mistakes just like you and I did, okay? Amen to that one? Yeah, you have to let them make their mistakes, and that's one way that you gain wisdom. Now, here's where it gets a little uh, tricky for me. Not with my kids. Periodically, not often, it's a rarity, but I'll have people come, make appointments with me, they lay out the situation, and they want me as a pastor, Jim, to make the decision for them. They don't say that, but boy, I know that, okay? And you can tell, you can sense it. Now, I will never, ever, 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 never, I'll never make a decision for someone. Do you know why? Two reasons. First one, they don't grow. Second one, if it goes wrong, guess who they're going to blame? Me. And I am not going to put myself in that situation at all. People have to learn to make their own decisions. And if they don't learn that, then all you do, you hear me say this often, all you do is have an, a, a, a person in an adult body, but emotionally they are stunted. They are stunted. And you don't want that in a person's life. So here we go. Let's pick it up. Um, they, they're not bowing. And Nebuchadnezzar steaming. Here we go. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. And his facial expression was altered. I love that statement right there. His facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it usually than it was usually heated. So, bullet point. As hot as the furnace is, Nebuchadnezzar is hotter. He's just hotter, man. In verse 13, we know he's raging. We know he's angry. But in verse 19, it says he's filled. He's filled with anger, and it affects his face. In other words, his face looks something like this. You know, it's, you know, you know, you, yeah, that's, his, that's his best acting job I can do for him right there. Now, not only is it seven times hotter, I think this guy is seven times hotter. Now, <clears throat> from his disposition I think we can draw some conclusions about angry people. Can we not? Okay. 
let me first define the angry person. The angry person doesn't get angry. They're always angry. Any amens? And anger, if you hang around New Beginnings, you'll hear me give these definitions. And I only do this because I was an angry man. But the angry person, there's three symptoms you look for. Not that they're screaming loud or punching the wall. We got it, okay? You're angry. But the three symptoms are chronic irritation with people or situations, chronic impatience with people or situations, or chronic pouting over situations or people in your life. One, two, or all three, that's the angry person. They don't get angry. They're always angry. And so they walk around like this, and whatever tips them, boy, it just blows. Anyone happen on the freeway today or at a signal or somebody cut you off? Anybody? Don't raise your hand. Don't even want to know, okay? But that's the angry person. It just, boom. They're always, always ready to blow on something because they don't get angry. They're always angry. Now, with that said, he's angry. What's he angry about? Because this will give you insight into the angry person. What's he angry about? He's angry that these guys will not do what he wants them to do. Boy, that's healthy, isn't it? So let's call that control. Are angry people, do they like to have control? Do angry people want you to do what they want you, what they want you to do? And if you don't do what they want you to do, they get angry. That's right. And so their anger, which leads to control, which leads back to more anger, that actually... He wants to kill them, and so we see where anger can kill a relationship. Can it not? Because you're trying to control the other person, and when they don't do what you want, then you get angry, and therefore you start to do things, clamp down harder, get angrier, this and that, and it kills the relationship. Angry people can't function in a relationship because unless the person is a pushover and do whatever the angry person says. So you find that in this person's life right here. Now, I want to give you a quick side note. You want a side note? Okay. <clears throat> it, by not bowing, and, and if God doesn't deliver them in the furnace, how long will they last in there if God doesn't deliver them? They'll flame up like that, right? But if they do bow to the idol, how long will they spend burning in the lake of fire and brimstone? Ooh. You think about that one, huh? I mean, it's a quick death this way. I'm not bowing. I'm following Christ. Boom, in heaven, two seconds later. But over on this side, if I bow, I'm in eternity, man. I'm in the lake of fire forever and ever. So let's think about that in our life at times, you know, when we make decisions. Now, verse 20 and 21, it says, He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Verse 21. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. Now, <clears throat> now notice, he's going to make sure that they, he gets his best warriors. To, he's going to make sure these guys get thrown. He's got the Babylonian green berets, Babylonian seals. He's got them all. They tie them up. He, they have them thrown in there with all their clothes on. Logically, practically, Why? flammable, okay? Flames up even faster, all right? Verse 22, it says, for this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, 
The flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, it's so hot that these warriors who throw them into the fire, the flames are coming out of the furnace, and they just light up and they die on the spot. How many know that's a bad day at work that day, right? It's just a bad day, okay? So, bullet point right here. Rushing can lead to regret. Rushing can lead to regret, meaning being in a hurry. Rushing can lead to regret. Now, if you notice in verse 22, for this reason, because the king's command was what? Urgent. Is he in a hurry? Oh, yeah. He wants these guys dead and dead fast. Now, you think he's emotional? Guys, he's angry. Is he emotional? In his emotions, he's moving fast and he's not thinking. Am I right? And when our emotions are moving and they're going up like that, are we really thinking wisely? No. And in his anger, he's very impatient. His emotions are flying. And here we go. And he does his thing and boom, not only are these guys, these guys die because they're throwing them in. Makes, you always make mistakes when you let, uh, when your emotions get the best of you. Have you ever had that happen? Okay, just, oh, just a few times. Okay, 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 just for the sake of it. You always got to be careful with your emotions. Um, um, Because you make a lot of mistakes when you let your emotions get the best of you. Especially when you're rushing like this, he's really, he's angry, he's letting his emotions get the best of him, he's going to make a bad decision. These guys die. And sometimes you and I, we in a sense, die because we let our emotions get the best of us. For instance, case in point. I'll give you two case in points. Um, Have you ever um, signed on the dotted line on something that you, big ticket item, oh, you had to have it, it felt so good, everything, that new car smell, and it's so great, and then you take that thing home, I'm not saying not to buy a car, but, um, but then a month later, that thing comes in the mail or online, and what's that thing called now? Oh, the payment. Yeah, I forgot about that part of it. And that's like eight, today, eight or nine hundred dollars a month at about eight, eighty-seven years. You know, whatever it is. You know. Yeah, and all of a sudden, doesn't reality set in? Uh, all of a sudden, that new car smell doesn't even doesn't even. What was I thinking, right? You know. But see, they want. That's why they want to get you in there. And if I'm them, I want to get you in there too, because I want to make a sale. But the, you take that idea that you got in that thing, you got emotional about it, you sign on the dotted line, and then 30 days go by and reality sets in. It's like, what have I done? Right? People don't just do that with cars. They do that with marriage. They get all in it, all in my oh, they're just so cute. You know, the whole shot, you know, the whole infatuation, man, and this and that. And then they get married, and then you have buyer's remorse. Marriage buyer's remorse. Am I right? If you don't know, you need to counsel more often with people, okay? I run into this a lot, man. It's like, because, and what happens is you move so fast. Here's the problem. You move so fast, you, and your emotions are, are running in this whole thing, and they're so cute, and look at the little way they smile, and the whole shot, and you don't see the big flaws in their life. Am I right? Am I right? And then you get married and then you start to see these big flaws in their life. Look, if you've ever bought a home, you know that you don't like everything in that home, right? 
there are some compromises. There's some things, well, I don't like this and this and that. They're, but they're not going to be big deal breakers, right? You need to take that concept into relationship and take a good look and see, okay, I can live with this, but I can't live with that. When we get emotionally involved in infatuation, we don't see the big, I can't live with that until it's too late, and now we have buyer's remorse in the relationship. And so you just got to be really careful. This guy, Nebuchadnezzar, has allowed his emotions to get the best of him, and somebody died. In fact, the wrong people in his mind died. And when we let the emotions get the best of us, there's some things that die in our life and around our life. Amen to that one? Okay, here we go. Uh, Verse 23. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember, the first guys who threw them in, those guys, they're dead now, right? Okay, now we're going to get to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. How? Still tied up. That's a big truth we'll get to in one second. But let me tell you just about the furnace, different things I've read about the furnace. They were about 30-foot deep pits. They're 30-foot deep pits. When it cooled down to clean it out, you had a ramp where you could walk in and the guys would come in and clean it out. But when you're thrown in, you fall down into that pit. You're going down into that 30-foot deep pit. And so these guys are now down in that pit. Now, let's see what happens. Verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king was astounded and stood up in haste, and he said to his high officials, don't you just love this line? Was it not three men we cast bound in the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm and the appearance of the fourth. In other words, I see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but there's a fourth guy and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Oh my gosh. Nebuchadnezzar, he probably thinks his eyes are playing tricks on him, correct? What was the thing he told these guys in the beginning? What God is there that can deliver you out of my hands? And now he's finding out because they're in there walking around. So in your notes, bullet point, the fourth man is a theophany, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. You could also call it a Christophany, but I put a theophany there. Okay, it's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. In case you don't know, and you're just you're, you're learning your Bible, and, that's, and I applaud that. Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem. Amen? That's when he took flesh. That's when he was born. He took flesh. Jesus always was. John in John's gospel, he even says that Jesus, that all things were created by him and through him. He's the creator of everything. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Remember that? And then verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh. We know that's Jesus Christ. We know that when Jesus was debating with the Pharisees, and they're going back and forth, and, you know, and he says, Abr- Jesus says, Abraham longed to see my day, and he saw it. And they go, you're not even 50 years old. How You've seen Abraham? And Jesus says to them, before Abraham was born, I am. 
And so he's laying out all these things. John's writing about it. Jesus saying, we understand that Jesus is eternal. He always was. Now, you take that idea right there and you go back to Genesis chapter 1 if you want to take it, because there's all kinds of stuff like this. And that's when people say, well, you know, Jesus just began. No, 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 he always was. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, when God creates man, it says, let us make man in our image. Why would God use plurality of us and our? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see the plurality of the Godhead, one God in three persons at that time. So Jesus always was. He didn't begin at some moment. So this, in this situation here, when Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire and he sees the fourth man, this is Jesus. This is the pre-incarnate Christ before Jesus ever came and walked in the flesh on earth. We like to say Jesus is in the Old Testament concealed and in the New Testament revealed. And so here he is. He's concealed, but now you see him here. I'm going to give you some thoughts on this, okay? Can I give you some? Okay. I told you last week there's an Old Testament in Greek. It's called the Septuagint. Remember that? Did I say Septuagint last week? I think I did. In the Septuagint, it says it like this. It says that they got Nebuchadnezzar's attention in the fire because they were singing praises. Isn't that wild? That they're in the, our God is an awesome God, he reigns. Can you imagine? They're in there in the fire just singing away. If, that, if that's true, I don't know if it's true or not. But it brings up an interesting question. Huh? When you and I are in the fires of life, do we come and worship God? That just hurt, didn't it? Do I still think, well, I just can't wait to come and worship God or like, just go without me today? <laughs> I got another question for you. Do you think the three Hebrew guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you think they saw the fourth man in the fire with them? It doesn't say anything. It doesn't say anything. I don't know. I can't answer that. So we don't know. But what if they didn't? What if they couldn't see him? What if only Nebuchadnezzar saw him? Now, that would kind of make sense to me because when we're in the fires of life, we don't see God, do we? No, we don't see God. All we see is I'm in, I'm in so much pain here. You know, We don't see God at all <clears throat> until it's over. And we say, oh, I say what God did. Now, let me give you a bullet point, and that is this in your notes. Pain has a positive side. Everybody say amen on that one. Okay, that was really weak, but I'll take it. Look at verse 25. What happened to the three guys specifically in the fire? What are they? In verse 25, something happened to them in verse 25. It's unbound. They're loosed, right? Ah, so the only thing, because remember, they're in there with their cap, Coat, pant, remember all that? They got everything on. But the only thing that burns is what? The ropes. So in the fire, the only thing that burns is the ropes. And so now we see that fiery trials in life can burn away all the things that bind us, the impurities of our life. Amen to that one? And so we see now that pain has a positive side. Keeping your marker right here, I'm going to take it to two verses very quickly. Turn to your left first to Isaiah chapter 48. Look what, the, what, look, look what the, the trials of life do. Look, I'm gonna, I don't like trials. I don't know anyone who does like trials. But they are good for us. 
Now, when you're in Isaiah 48, say, I'm there. Okay, watch. Look at verse 10. Isaiah says, Behold, God speaking, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. So now we see that God does refine us in the fires of life, right? Okay, let's go over to the New Testament. Let's go way to the right and go to James. James is right after Hebrews. James chapter 1. Now watch this about trials. When you're there, say, I'm there. Okay, that's not enough yet. When you're there, say, when your neighbors say, say, my neighbor's there. It's even worse than I thought. Okay. Okay, James chapter 1, let's read 2, 3, and 4. It says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you say encounter. Encounter various trials. Now listen, let me just point this out. I wasn't going to point it out, but let me point it out. It says, consider joy when you encounter various trials. In other words, you should already be joyful before you even walk into the trial, right? Right? There should be a deep joy in your life that you walk around with before you even walk into the trial. So you're walking in with the joys you encounter. Look at verse 3. Knowing, now you know something. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. Endurance. This is why you see some Christians, you know, they start, they go good, then they fall out. Then they come back, and then they fall out again. They come back, a trial, they fall out again. They never develop endurance. They're always quitting. How can you develop endurance if you're always quitting? Any amens? I mean, if you run the treadmill, run run wherever, you know, if you, you run further and further without quitting, you can run further and further and further, Right? And you're less tendency to quit. It's just a fact. Now, verse 4. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Ah. Uh, so now we see you put it all together, trials, burn away um, impurities, develop character, create maturity, the whole thing. Are they a headache? Are trials a headache? Say yes. Don't, it's not a trick question, Okay. You know, you know I mean, it, they're a headache, but they're good for us. Now, here's the question that I ask, have asked myself. I'm as guilty as anybody else, but I've heard plenty of people ask me this question. When they're in a bad season of trials, things are just going wrong, we tend to ask ourselves, God, what am I doing wrong that I'm in this trial? Anybody? That's what we ask ourselves, huh? Who said you had to have done anything wrong? This is a very common question I run in with in myself. I will never forget. Back in 09 and the big crash, remember that? People were scrambling, man. People were panicked. I remember this lady came to my office and because of the crash and everything, lost job, losing the house, a lot happened to a lot of people. And she asked me this question. She said, I've searched my life and searched my life. Can you see some, and she explained it all, can you see something I'm doing wrong that I'm why I'm in this? I said, you didn't do anything wrong. This is happening everywhere. You're a part of the fallout of all this that's happening. We will suffer because of others' decisions, will we not? 
But it doesn't mean you've done anything wrong at all. See, the great thing about the question, though, is what am I doing wrong is flip it from a negative to a positive. Okay, God, I'm in the trial. Okay, God, it is difficult. Are you trying to show me something that maybe you want me to grow in? Is there some impurity you want, me, you want to burn up in my life or burn out in my life? See, I think that's the better way to face it, right? Where we face ourselves and say, okay, God, how, how can I grow through, through this? Now, let me take it a different thought question right now. If God, if Jesus Christ doesn't show up in there, if he lets them die in the fire, if God lets them die in the fire, would God still have been in control? Somebody had to think about that, huh? Of course he'd be in control. He's always in control. Look, don't people get martyred all the time all over the world for their faith? That's right. See, your job and my job, we just obey God. Just do what he says. But there's no guarantee he's going to deliver me out of a mess like that. There's no guarantee whatsoever. See, the only thing that I know is guaranteed is that I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to follow God. Some bad things just might happen to me. And I just got to keep following the Lord in my life. Now, let's get back. Verse 26. Here we go. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near, because now he's seen the fourth man, right? Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. Verse 27. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own. Now, notice what he says. Nebuchadnezzar says, come out of there. Which means they're not doing what? They're not screaming, let me out of here. They're not doing that, okay? They're in there walking around. Almost like they're having a good time. He says, hey, get out, get, hey, get out of there. He's telling them to get out of there. <clears throat> now, how many, think about this, how many times when we're in trials, we're screaming, get me out of here, right? right? We're in fiery trials, we're screaming to get out. They don't want to come out. You know why? Because remember, they're in fellowship because there's two other guys with each one of them. There's three of them, right? And there's the fourth man in there, right? So there's this whole church service going on in the fire. Any amens? So why would they want to leave it? See, that tells us too, again, that when we're in fiery trials, we need to be in fellowship. We need to be in worship. We need to be with other people. Otherwise, it just gets worse, doesn't it? You cannot be isolated in these things at all. Now, next thing is a question. How do they look and smell? <laughs> really good, man. They look really, really good. They, in fact, they smell great. 
put on the Old Spice, Brood, Kai Karate, whatever you want, they put it on, man. Remember Brood Soap on a Rope? Oh, if we raise our hand like I do, we're old. Okay, I got, I got. Okay, but they they smell and look great. And how many people let themselves go in there and try? How are you doing? I'm terrible. I'm fine. You know, no, no. You want? I was talking to. I just popped in my head. Um, I was talking to somebody recently, and um, if you're watching this, close your eyes. No, I'm just joking. And, and I told him, and one of the things I do when I talk to people is not only do I try to show them the issues in life, but I'll also try to show them how they carry themselves, how they project themselves based on the issues that they're dealing with in their life. Because you know the inside affects the outside, right? And I was talking to this person, and they were telling me this certain thing, and I thought, I know why. I said, have you ever noticed that when you tell me somebody asks you how you're doing, you do this. Oh, it's just really a battle. It's just a battle I'm going through. I go, you know how many times you've told me that, that somebody asks you a question you're doing, and you've told me that so many times? I go, why do you think nobody wants to ask you questions or hang around you? Because you're always doing this. I go, why would somebody want to come back and hear the same thing over and over again? It's just, you know, it's a battle. All you, he goes, what am I supposed to do? I go, you say this. He go, you know, it's tough right now, but Lord's taking me through it. Wouldn't that be different? You'd be more likely to want to talk to that person after that, right? Rather than avoiding me, see him in church at greeting time. <laughs> right? Don't act. Don't act, okay? You know, you guys all know what that's about. Now, let me move on. Nothing about this, not move on in verses. But in verse 28, look what Nebuchadnezzar, when he calls them out, and he says that um, about their God, their God has sent his what? His angel. Is that bad theology? Say yes. Do unbelievers have bad theology? Say yes. Okay, unbelievers have terrible theology. I mean, you listen to an unbeliever talk, and you're thinking, this person knows nothing about the Bible, and they think they know everything about the Bible. It's so off base. Bad theology. Now, next bullet point, and let's drive this thing home. Unwavering faith amid trials impresses others. In fact, let me read 29 and 30, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to finish on this one. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap. That's kind of a consistent theme in this book, huh? It's like, man. Inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way, Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Their unwavering faith led to prosperity. Did it not? But let's go back to the bullet point. Unwavering faith amid trials impresses others. It says that the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the high officials, when they come out, they come in and they, they, they... 
come around, they're all like, they can't believe it. It's, it's impressive. Okay, this is one of the biggest, biggest witnessing points as a follower of Christ that you and I can have. When you and I are going through it in a trial and it's bad and your coworkers know everything about it because you've shared it, but they watch you. They look at you and they see how you carry yourself when you're in it. That your faith is unwavering. That you still have joy in your life. That you still believe that God is going to carry you through it. And that God's going to get me on the other side of it. Does that impress them? So Jesus is hanging on the cross. And he's in agony. It's bad. And he goes to the seven sayings of the cross. During that time, the sky goes dark at noon and I thirst and, you know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. There's a centurion there. A centurion is a soldier, a commander in charge of a hundred soldiers. Sent centurion. And there comes that moment in time where he finally utters the words in in the midst of all this, because he's been there. He saw Jesus nailed. He saw him put up there. He's been there for the full six hours that he's on that cross. And he says, truly, this was the Son of God. Have you ever wondered how many crucifixions that man has overseen? That's like every day for this guy. Hundreds and hundreds. A crucifixion to him is just like eating breakfast. It's routine. Why today? Why that day would he say, truly, this was the Son of God? Well, there's only one answer, I think. There's only one answer. Because he watched him. He watched him for six hours on that cross. And in those six hours... He never saw a man handle suffering, pain, and torment the way that guy did. And so finally there comes this moment, this click moment in his head where everything snaps together. And he realizes this has got to be God in the flesh. Truly, this was the Son of God. I imagine he fell to his knees and he begins to worship. Truly this was. Listen, one of the greatest witnessing tools that you and I have is the way we handle the pressures of life, the fires of life, the trials of life. When they see the way we handle it and we handle it correctly, boy, it is so impressive. It will open the door for people to ask the question, of why, why, why aren't you falling apart like everybody else? <laughs> let me, and then you get to say, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. And you tell them why. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The way they handled the fire 
was so impressive. Thank you, Jesus, that you're with us in the fire. And if they didn't see him in the fire, it'd be like us. We don't see God in the fire at times, but we just know he's there. We thank you, Lord, that even in the midst of these things, they don't bow. They say, we don't have to give you an answer. Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. We're just going to worship our God. What a great, great story to live by. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen and amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.